out there as well. Isn't that fun, seeing all these people doing radical, cool things for the Lord? If you got your Bibles, open them up to what book? What are we in? Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Gospel of Luke. We're in chapter 4. Uh, before we head into today's passage, I want to give us a quick recap of last week. We've got about 40 minutes here, so we're doing good. As you remember, last week, Jesus went into a synagogue in the town of, it starts with an N, say it really loud, Nazareth. Been to Nazareth, pretty cool uh, little town. You should check it out. Come with us next time we go to Israel, please. It's going to be fun. But they go, he goes to a synagogue, and he reads from the prophet, and this prophet starts with an I, Isaiah. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Can I get an amen? Thank you, Jesus. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight for the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then afterwards, you remember, it just tells him like everyone's eyes were fixated on Jesus. I mean, he has won this crowd. They are a captive audience. What is he going to say next? And the Bible says he rolls up the scroll. He gives it to the attendant. And then what does he say? He says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, everything is about to change. The Messiah has come. And that leads us into today's passage. We're going to start in verse 22 it says all spoke well of him say all 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 everybody they spoke well of him marveled at his gracious words that were coming from his mouth but then they say is this not joseph's son and he has a response to that verse 23 doubtless you will quote to me this proverb physician heal yourself what we have heard you did at capernaum do here in the hometown as well and he said truly i say to you no prophet is acceptable in his hometown But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. There was also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elijah, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Verse 28, when the people in the synagogue hears Jesus saying these things, all in the synagogue say all, (laughs) all are filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of town, brought him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built. So what? So they could throw him a party? No, so they could throw him off the cliff. But passing through their midst, uh, he went away. What happened? What happened? I mean, we went from last week's passage where everybody's sitting there. They're captivated by every word. The beginning of this passage today that says that all are speaking well of him. All are marveling at the grace of his words. But by the time you get to the end of it, it says all in the synagogue are filled with wrath. They're ready to throw him off a cliff. Again, it went from all spoke well of him to all are filled with wrath. What happened that's what we're going to look at today before we go any further would you bow your heads and let's pray lord jesus i love your word i love how your word comes alive every time we meet every time it's preached every time it's taught your word by the power of your holy spirit comes alive i thank you that we cannot remain the same when we hear your word your word is powerful enough to cut through every wall and defense that we've put up it gets to the very heart of our lives i thank you for your powerful word today teach us today by your holy spirit and all god's people said Amen. Amen. So again, after this great declaration from 
Isaiah about this being the year of the Lord's favor and Jesus letting everybody that the Messiah has come, that the King has come. At first, they're kind of intrigued. In fact, we just read verse 22. In awe, they're marveling at his words of grace coming out of his mouth. Like, wow, like this is pretty impressive. This is pretty amazing. But then something happens. All of a sudden, some doubt and unbelief creeps in. Because, wait a minute. Isn't this Joseph's son? Remember, this is his hometown. This is where he grew up. And you can kind of hear them saying... Jesus, I mean, this sounds good, Jesus, but it's Jesus, right? This, we played with Jesus. We grew up with Jesus. This is the son of Joseph. Can Jesus really fulfill this scripture? So doubt creeps in. Unbelief creeps in. Doubt and unbelief. Does that remind you of any other stories that we've covered over the last several months about doubt or unbelief? Let me refresh our memories. Remember, way back, chapter 1. The angel came to Zechariah. You remember this story? The angel comes to Zechariah and says, Hey, Zechariah, you're going to have a son. In fact, you're going to name him John. And Zechariah responded by saying, Eh, <laughs> how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. And my wife, she's well along in years. Or the angel, when he came to Mary and, and, and she would conceive, she, he told the, Mary, You're going to conceive. You're going to have a baby boy. You're going to name him Jesus. And she said, how will this be? Don't you know I'm a virgin? Have you ever doubted what you heard the Lord say to you before? Have you ever had where your initial response to God was unbelief? I, I don't need a show of hands, but I think we've all had those moments before. I remember when Mary and I, we were told that we would be uh, possibly become the senior pastors here. And, and we thought, well, how could that happen? Because I don't preach, right? I'm not a preacher. Or when the Lord first asked us to ask again of the Adventists, if we could have a legal lease. Well, why would you ask again? Don't you know that they've already told you no? And so these doubts begin to rise up. When the Lord prompts you, just think about in your own life, when the Lord prompts you to invite your neighbor to the Easter service, when he prompts you, when he stirs you up to go and, and ask the stranger walking in the mall if you'd be able to pray for them, you, you hear, you feel. You've been there before. You heal, you fear. Uh, you, you, <laughs> that's funny. I just joined the words together. But you feel and you hear the Lord stirring you up. You get these goosebumps. You ever get in the goosebumps of the Holy Spirit before? You ever get the, swatty, uh, the, the sweaty palms of the Holy Spirit? You know what I'm talking about you know you're sitting there and you're like oh jesus you are asking me to do something and what do you do it looks like this you do nothing <laughs> right you, you feel the goosebumps you get the sweaty palms and yet you don't do anything in fact it kind of goes like this eh, i don't know god how could this be by the way, this is what I love about following Jesus. This is what I love about being surrounded by other followers of Jesus. Is Even if our initial response is doubt, the longer that you journey and walk with Jesus, the sooner, the quicker that doubt turns to faith. Have you noticed that? Right? Where you're like, ah, I don't know Jesus. But then as a Christian, you go, but you know what? God, if you're asking me to go to Kenya, if you're asking me to go to the Dominican Republic, if you're asking me to... You know, go witness to my neighbor or to be a good a Christian to my boss. You know what? If that's what you're asking me to do, I'm going to do it. You ever been there before? Where your initial response is doubt, but then you rise up in faith and you obey the Lord? Zachariah and Elizabeth, first response, they doubted. In fact, do you remember? It caused Zachariah not to be able to speak for over nine months. 
But then eventually faith rises up within this couple. They have a baby. Everyone's pressuring them to call the baby after his father, Zachariah. But they say, no, we are obeying the Lord. His name is John. Mary, though she doubted to become, uh, uh, you know, to have the baby because she's like, man, I'm kind of like a virgin and it's not going to happen. But quickly in faith, she rose up and she said, you know what? I am. Do you remember this? She says, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. When we prayed through being senior pastors here at the church, as we considered the Advent, asking the Adventists, making the bold request to ask for a new lease, though our initial response to those situations was doubt, we came to a place where we rose up in faith and we said, you know what, if this is what God is asking us to do, then God, the pressure's on you and you're going to provide, you're going to make a way and you rise up in faith and you ask your neighbor to come to Easter, you pray for the stranger in the mall. Many of you, you know what I'm talking about. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You have those stories. The stories where you started in doubt, but you rose up in faith. By the way, I'd encourage you, share those stories with one another. Get on Facebook. Get on Twitter. Get to your life groups. Get on our daily reading plan. Share the stories where you first doubted, but then you rose up in faith. But then I want you to consider where maybe you are currently facing a situation. Right now, today, in the year 2019. And you kind of sense it. You're getting the goosebumps. You're getting the sweaty palms. You, you realize that maybe God is stirring you up, maybe wanting you to move in a certain area. But you know today that you're doubting the Lord. You're questioning the Lord. And maybe today he's asking you to rise up in faith, to trust him, to believe in him, to breathe out doubt, breathe out fear, and breathe in faith, to believe, to obey the, the word that he has spoken to you. I want you to write that down too. If that's you, if you have an area like that, write it down so you don't forget. Sometimes when the Lord moves in a place like this by His Spirit, uh, we go home, eat our Mexican food at Ranchitos, and we forget all about it. So write it down. Now, in this scene back in the synagogue with Jesus, they begin to doubt Jesus, right? Can Jesus truly be the fulfillment of this prophecy from Isaiah? And unlike what I just got done talking about, their doubt doesn't turn into faith, right? They don't rise up in faith. In fact, it goes the other direction. And as they doubt Jesus, Jesus responds to their doubt and their unbelief. And so they say, isn't this Joseph's son, the carpenter's son? And Jesus knows that these people, as much as... (laughs) I was like, what is that? (laughs) But Jesus knows that these people, as much as they have just heard him share the good news, just heard him proclaim this year of the Lord's favor, that this room is growing in doubt. And unbelief. And so Jesus responds to their doubt and unbelief. He says this. He goes, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well, right? You say you do all these things. Well, if that's true, prove it, right? We heard what you did in Capernaum, do it here in Nazareth. And he says, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. I mean, at this point, it's palpable. Like Jesus can feel tangibly feel their unbelief that whatever they initially felt when they all heard him reading from that scroll where their eyes were captivated and, and he has this audience it has quickly dissolved it has come to a place of complete lack of faith in jesus as the chosen one the anointed one king messiah the atmosphere has completely dissolved to a place full of doubt and then jesus goes for it he says but in truth i tell you There were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. Days of Elijah. You remember Elijah? Elijah the prophet from the Old Testament. There's this great famine, many widows in Israel. There's widows amongst God's chosen people. 
And if you remember, Elijah needed food. If, I think it's First Kings 17. And he needed food. And God could have sent Elijah to any widow in Israel. But then verse 26 says, Elijah was sent to none of them. But where was he sent? He was sent to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, or Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. A Gentile, non-Jewish widow. You might want to write that one down. If you remember in that story, he performs a great miracle. She has some oil. She has some flour. It doesn't run out. But then her son dies. And Elijah asked, uh, asked the Lord to resurrect the body of this boy. And, and the boy does. Uh, he comes back to life. And the widow declares that Elijah is truly a man of God. And then Jesus says, and there's also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elijah. You remember Elijah? And he says, but none of them, none of those lepers of Israel, God's chosen people, none of them was cleansed. But only who? Naaman. Naaman the Syrian. So again, he's mentioned in Elijah and then Elijah and how at this time many lepers in Israel among the chosen people of God. But who is cleansed? What's his name again? Naaman. Naaman. And is he one of God's chosen people or the Jewish people? He's not. He's a Syrian. He's a Gentile. Remember, he washed his hands seven times in the Jordan River. He was healed, and then he proclaimed that there is only one true God. Look what Jesus has done. First, mentioning Elijah being sent out, not to the Jewish widows, but to the Gentile widow. And then mentioning Elijah, another prophet, not healing the Jewish lepers, but instead the Syrian Gentile. All these Gentiles, they believe, they receive these miracles because of their faith. So when these people in the synagogue begin to show their lack of faith in Jesus, their doubt in Jesus, his response is to show them they are just like their ancestors who did not believe. He is highlighting that Israel, God's chosen people, they have a problem. It's a problem of unbelief. Just as those prophets were rejected and dismissed, so Jesus now will be rejected and dismissed. God's people, unable to put their faith, believe in the Messiah. By the way, the one who they have been waiting for, and by the one, the one who stands right in front of their eyes. They cannot put their faith in him, and he calls them out for it. And by the way, they understand what Jesus is saying Right, they get the point of the story. These two stories of a non-Jewish widow and a non-Jewish leper. They understand Jesus' point that God is blessing and moving in a miraculous way for the Gentiles who believe instead of the Jewish people. And they're insulted. In fact, they become furious. It's too much for them to hear. And it says in verse 28, when they heard these things all in the synagogue, all of them were filled with wrath. They rise up, they drive them out of town, they bring them to the brow of a hill on which their town was built so they could what? Throw him off the cliff. Kill Jesus. They rise up and they drive him out. They drive him out. The Greek word there for drive him out is to throw out of an area. Right? You find this in other parts of the New Testament. When Jesus casts out a demon, it's the same word. When Jesus throws out a demon, casts out a demon, it's the same word. When Jesus is casting out evil spirits, it's the very same word of these religious people with evil hearts in this place of worship. Casting out Jesus. It's hard to read, huh? It's a hard story. Kind of breaks your heart. It should break your heart. Jesus comes to his town, to his people, his friends, his family. Do you think you might have been just a tad bit familiar with the synagogue? Right? He grew up here. He's been here since a young child, a young man. He comes. And why does he come? He comes. Is he coming to bring some really bad news? No, he's coming to bring the good news, to quote Isaiah that this is the year of the Lord's favor. The kingdom of God is coming to change the world like never before. And you read it, it kind of feels like the people are going to go for it. 
Right? As we read last week, all the people's eyes, they're fixed on Jesus. As we read today, all the people speaking well of Jesus, marveling at his words. Oh, man, like, here we go. Like, they're going to go for it. They're going to see where the blind, now they're going to be able to see where they were in prison. Now they're going to be set free. Like, here we are, the year of the Lord's favor. But isn't that Joseph's son? Isn't that Joseph's son? And they become one more story in the history of thousands of stories of God's people doubting the Lord, doubting his word, rejecting their Messiah. We don't have a lot of time today, so I'll get straight to the point of what I feel the Lord laid on my heart this week. That even though they rejected Jesus in that moment, even though God's people had a history of rejecting God, I want you to hear some good news today. God never gave up on his people. And he didn't give up on those people in that synagogue. In fact, as you keep reading through the story of Jesus in the book of Luke, we're going to see that not only does Jesus remain faithful to his people, even as they reject him, even as they doubt him, he chooses to die for them, to save them. He gives up his life. He lays it down for a people who didn't even want him. Isaiah, a couple chapters before what he just quoted in Isaiah 53, it says this, that he was despised and he was rejected. Despised and rejected. Sound familiar? Despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him. We looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. If you keep reading in Isaiah, he goes on to say this. It's so powerful in context of this of this passage today. He says, yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought, we thought his troubles, they were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced. Again, I just want you to think of the context of the synagogue. He was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sin. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. See, that's what's so amazing about Jesus. In a room, <laughs> I'm, just saying, I'm just being honest, if a room turned on Jesus or turned on me like they turned on Jesus, do you think I would want anything to do with those people? Would you want anything to do with those people? If a room turned on you like they turned on Jesus, like get me out of there, I never want to see you again. This rebellious, this sinful group of overly religious people, get me out of here. And yet again, it said of Jesus, he was pierced for their rebellion, crushed. For their sins. Instead of sending fire down from heaven with a word of just destroying them all, he went to the cross to save them all. He was crushed for their sins. He took the penalty that they deserved so they could be made whole, so they could be healed. Who on earth has come even close to that kind of love? Who else is like Jesus? Who else? Where you would be treated like Jesus. Treated, despised, rejected, ridiculed, beaten, tortured, spit on, mocked. And yet the whole time, out of his love for his father, but also out of his love for us. He focused on what the father had called him to do. To lay down his life as a ransom for many. To save the world. To save sinners just like those people in that synagogue. Again, it's incredible. Can we just agree that Jesus is amazing? But then, I think there's a safety in this room if we kind of just keep all the rebellious and sinful and doubting and unbelievable, unbelieving people, if we just kind of keep them in that synagogue, right? 
Like, oh, man, those people in the synagogue just kind of bad mouthed and talked about it. You know, just like, oh, man, they just lacked faith and they didn't believe and they rejected Christ. You know, just those synagogue people. But who are we kidding? Come on, church. Let's not kid ourselves. We know that every one of us, that attitude, that spirit that existed in that room, it has existed in every one of our own hearts. Every one of us in this room. Every one of us in this room, that same spirit has existed in our own hearts. I remember as a kid, maybe you did this when you were a kid. I was always so mad. Like, why did they have to kill Jesus? Do you ever do that when you are a kid? Like, why are people so mean? Why did they crucify him? Those terrible people. And yet the older I get, and I'm getting older, but the older I get, I look at the track record of my own life, some of the decisions, some of the actions that I've done, it's just as bad or even worse than what those people did who hated and tried to kill Jesus. And it's awful and it's terrible. I mean, think about some of the words that have come out of your mouth. And I do not need you to repeat them. I was thinking about it. I, I mean, you kind of see it now in the news, right? With celebrities and politicians, these terrible things that they've said, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago in the past. But what about you? What, what are some of the things that you've said? Again, I'm not going to look at anyone while I say this because I'm not here to point anyone out, but maybe it's something you said to your spouse. Maybe it's a word that you said to your children. Maybe it's a word you said to your friend. You said words that weren't just hurtful and mean. They were evil, evil, completely contrary to a flourishing, abundant life that God has called you to. Proverbs 18 tells us that death and life are in the power of the tongue. All of us in this room. And if you don't believe this, you're kidding yourself. All of us in this room have caused death just by our words. And that's just our words. Right? That's just what we've said. Put on top of that all the things we've done. Hurtful, harmful, evil things that violate the commands of God. And yet Jesus, praise the Lord, has been faithful in my life. He's been faithful in your life. Even when you and I tried to throw him off a cliff with our words, with our actions... Out of his love for the Father, but also out of his love for you and for me, he died for our rebellion. He was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sin. The Bible speaks so clearly about this, and I hope, especially some of us more religious people, hopefully we can receive this message today. Listen to what he says. Christ died for the ungodly. Because you got to remember, this was a religious room. That Jesus was speaking to. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Right? So for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. This is the radical love of Christ. While we were still sinners, what did he do? Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5 goes on to tell us that we were brought into right standing with God, justified before our maker because of Jesus' death. That we are saved, it goes on to say, through his life. Brought into right standing before our maker. Not standing in our sins, praise the Lord. Not standing in our mistakes. Not standing in our flaws. Not standing in our failures. Not standing in the death that we have caused, the destruction we have caused by our words and by our actions. But we're standing forgiven and free. And we're boasting. But we're not boasting in anything that you and I have done. We are boasting in what Jesus has done for us. We are saved because of Jesus' death and his life. Praise the Lord. That chapter goes on to say, and this is so powerful, you might want to write it down and put it on Facebook because it's that good. He says, but where sin increased, grace 
increased all the more. Would you say that with me, church? But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Let's say it like we believe it. Where sin increased, his grace increased all the more. Wow. Praise the Lord. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so consider where maybe in your own life, as the Bible would say, maybe areas where you're sinning, areas where you're missing the mark. Just consider areas, and again, this isn't about anybody else or telling anybody else. It's just between you and the Lord. Just consider areas where maybe you're living in doubt. You're living in doubt, and you know that your fears, your doubts, your worries, they're controlling your decisions. Or maybe you think about how you've compartmentalized your walk with God. Again, no one has to admit to this, but we've all been there before. Certain areas, you're like, Lord, you can rule and reign in this area. And yet, those other areas that we don't really like to talk about, we're living in unbelief, lacking faith, or maybe we're just flat out rejecting Christ in that area. Maybe we've stood up and we have kicked him out of the room. We have cast him out of the room. You ever done that before? I know I have. That is a depressing, scary place to be when you know you have made the conscious decision to cast Jesus out. And yet that is why I love this moment. Because even when we have been unfaithful, God is always faithful. Even when we turn our back on him, he does not turn his back on us. And even though you and I have failed time and time and time and time and time again, his love, what does the Bible say? His love is unfailing. He's faithful to deliver us. He's faithful to save us. Where sin increased, and oh boy, has it increased, his grace increased all the more. Church, he knew what you'd be doing this past week. He knew the areas in your life the past seven days where you were going to rebel, where you were going to turn from him. And he isn't here today to smite you, to zap you, to strike you down. No. I mean, don't get me wrong. There is justice. There's a payment for every wrong thing that you've ever done. God is perfectly just. We understand that from the Bible. He is a just God who demands justice. But that justice, that penalty for your sin, including the sins of this past week, they have all been paid for on the cross. In so many ways, we, we just got to get to this place, humbly come to a place where we realize we have all rejected Christ. We're all guilty of trying to push Jesus off the cliff. And yet, because of God's love and because of his sacrifice, you and I can be forgiven. You and I can be set free. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. And yet you can freely receive forgiveness and life through the blood of Jesus. For God so loved the world. Do you remember that one? He loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, what? Shall not die, shall not perish, but have eternal life. Praise the Lord. And so we're going to receive communion together, and I'd ask the worship team to come on up, and if we can begin to pass out the elements. But I, I want to say this, and I want to give us just a, a time, a moment here before we sing this song, to just allow the Lord to search our hearts. And, and that's what I love about just from the beginning of the service all the way up to this point. The Holy Spirit is here. We know He's here. We know He's moving. You know He's speaking to us and moving us and, and challenging us and stirring us up. But I want to allow time for the Lord to search your heart. To search your heart. To allow the Holy Spirit to show you areas where you've cast Jesus out of the room. And I, I get that's a dangerous thing to even say. And I don't even need you to admit it to anyone else. 
This isn't something you have to say to your pastor or, or to a priest or anything like that. This is between you and the Lord where you allow His Spirit to examine the condition of your heart. It's so dangerous to go there, right? Because I think when we truly allow the Lord to examine the depths of our hearts, that's where true transformation occurs. That's when true change occurs. And we kind of like sometimes the way things are going. There's, even in sin, there's a familiar, comfortable part of our sin, and so we don't know if we want that change to happen. And so we kind of just play the game and go through the motion. But then there's special moments, and I think today is a special moment where we know the Spirit is here not to speak to the person on your left or not to speak to the person on your right, but to speak to you, to speak to the depths of your heart. And that regardless of what you've done over the past seven days or even the last seven years, that today if you would allow the Holy Spirit to come in with His love, with His grace, with His mercy, but allow Him to convict you in those areas. Allow Him to change you. But I also want to say this. I think the Holy Spirit would want to remind you that it's exactly in these areas, these areas where you have violently sinned against the Lord. It's in these exact areas where He desires to bring His forgiveness and bring His life. And it gets pretty intense at that point, doesn't it? Because you can think about that list and, and, and the things that I've said, the things that I've done. But it's right there in those areas where you said, I hate you, Jesus. I want nothing to do with you, Jesus. I will crucify you, Jesus. It's right there in that moment that he says, I have paid the price for that sin. There's nothing you have done that can't be outdone by his grace. Yes, your sin increased, but his grace, it increased even more. He did for you what we could not do for ourselves. He laid down his life. He paid the price. Even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us to set us free. So let's just take a moment. Again, this is just between you and the Lord. Hold the elements, if you would. And after this moment, uh, I'll lead us through receiving the elements together. It's a humbling experience, Lord, to be in your presence because we realize how much this is so much more about what you have done than anything that we have done. We're humbled because we know there's just things we've done, things we've said that were completely against your perfect will. And yet you did not come to this world the Gospel of John tells us that you did not come to this world to condemn the world, but to save it. And you have not come here today to condemn us, but you've come here to save us. We thank you. Where sin increased, your grace increased even more. So church, there's two cups. 
the top cup is the juice, the bottom cup is the bread. Let's receive the bread of the body of Christ broken for you. Let's receive together. Lord, you were broken for us so that we might be whole, that we might be healed and whole in Jesus. Let's receive his blood that was shed for us, his blood that washes away our sin. Praise you, Lord.